You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everyone, to Trek FM's local watering hole, the casino, the Cloud City. Oh, wait, wrong, wrong show. Uh, this is the 602 Club, but maybe it's because of all of the strange aliens walking around. So I don't know what is going on. There's like a hammerhead guy and a Bith, and I don't know. It's it's crazy. Uh, but uh, I hope you've grabbed something special from Ruby. Uh, and uh, we've got something, I think, fun to talk about. We're going to continue on with the Thrawn trilogy as we move towards The Force Awakens and, and kind of revisit something that we all thought might be the next series. So, of course, I have assembled my Jedi strike team, and uh, I can't do Star Wars shows without these guys. Uh, Bruce, man, welcome back to uh, the 602 Club. Hey, Matthew, um, you know, before you start recording, check out that blue girl over there. The Twilight over there. She's hot. <laughs> Bruce. Uh, yeah. Bruce. Yeah. No more Corellian brandy for him, Ruby. Okay, thank you. Uh, John, jump in here. Save save Bruce. Um, oh, wait, we're recording? Yeah, no. Yeah. Sorry, I'm too busy uh, enjoying my hot chocolate uh, to... Uh, to chase off my case of uh was it hive fever what was it high fever yeah. oh yeah i got a bad case Goodness. of that so by the end of the show <clears throat> i may be insane er yes once again yeah. hot chocolate makes it <laughs> into yeah. the book it does it I, does i fell out of the chair when i showed up again <laughs> there's a, actually a lot of different alcoholic beverages that show up in here as well as hot chocolate uh so there's oh and they have the tap calf cafe so Nice to know that that yeah. exists. So, and and that's canon now because it's in the new books. But before we jump in and dive in, I have to remind everybody that Six Hundred Two Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find all of our shows at iTunes dot com slash Trek FM. You can also find us at Trek FM. That's online. That's our website. You can also find us on the interwebs on Twitter at Trek FM. We're on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash Trek FM. We'd love to talk to you guys more and the best place to do that is the listeners only discussion group and that's the babel conference just type babel into the search field on facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar love getting voicemails from people just got a fun voicemail today i might end the show with it at the very very end as the singer but uh, alice baker left us a nice fun little voicemail so really appreciate that and, of course, if you would like to talk to us about anything we talk about on the 602 Club in email format, if that works best for you, go to trek.fm slash contact. Choose the show, the 602 Club. That'll come to us, and we will be able to respond to you accordingly. Well, guys, as I said, we are going to continue on in the Thrawn trilogy, and the next book is Dark Force Rising. And this book book really hits the ground running i think in a lot of ways it, it mirrors empire strikes back like that that there isn't a lot there's no setup you know it, it just it it's going um 
And, and honestly, we jump right into three main storylines that are kind of going through that are continuations of what we had in the first book, Heir to the Empire. And so, quick question, I think, even before we just jump into the storylines, I wanted to ask you guys about the feel of the storylines. And does it, for you, feel fluid, or does it feel a little too crowded? Uh, I'll feel it first. Uh, it feels too crowded. Um, I, I think that there, it, there is so much going on, which normally isn't a like a knock on something. It's nice to have a lot of story and a lot to follow. But uh, as a result, I feel that the way that he moves through tying everything together, everything feels too coincidental. Now, of course, as a Star Wars fan, you can fall back and you can say, oh, well, Will of the Force brought everything. But there is just there is too much in the tiny nitty gritty details where it was very obvious to me, at least. Where there had been some things he couldn't overcome in terms of bringing people back together. And so, you know, maybe the Falcon just conveniently needs to be where it, you know, in an exact spot for people to find it to bring it out of, you know, like where it was was just like, well, that's a little that's that's awful convenient. And it's the only way that it can get back to the main characters. All right. You know, like that, that's what I think uh, the what takes away from any sense of fluidity is there are too many points in the story where it feels just like it's been forced back into everything running parallel. Yes. Um, Twi'lek, Twi'lek. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I felt it was also too crowded. I'm actually glad you said that because I didn't think you were going to. Uh, it again, like with the first book, I felt like it was jumping around to too many different places too quick. I felt the same way in at least the first half of this book. And with Thrawn, yeah, he knows everything. I mean, if he yeah. showed up to somebody's house and they weren't home, he could say, <laughs> oh, I know where they went. They went to 7-Eleven. They're drinking a strawberry Slurpee right now. He's like the Sherlock Holmes of the Star Wars. Yeah, but there's no clues. He just He just knows. He just knows. It's um, not even by the will of the force, too, because the guy doesn't even have any mini chlorian. He's surrounded it's by East Salamiri, too. So, like, any shot at using the force is gone. That's true. <laughs> Maybe it's some new power we don't know about. Yeah. I don't know. but Like some dark force rising or something? There you go. That, that explains the title, Matthew. Very good. Um, but the Millennium Falcon... I'm glad you brought that up, too, because when Leia and Chewie left the Falcon with C-3PO, I was like, what'd they do with it? Where did it go? Because they were over the moon of Endor, and I wasn't really sure what happened to the Falcon. And then later they revealed that, yeah, it's just sitting out there in orbit, just laying there, abandoned. And like, who abandons the Falcon? Yes. That made no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, I knew it needed to happen for the story, but come on, I mean... The ship's just laying out there for anyone to take, and guess what happened? Someone took it. Uh, that, okay, I, I do have to ask, why didn't you just land the Falcon on Endor and cover it with, like, you know, the camouflage or whatever? Um, you know, you, you can lock it up. There aren't going to be any Ewoks in it. They're, they're not really prone to technology, well, as we've seen. In, yeah, but, but the, the, the Ewoks the Jedi, would even so. remember these guys. 
They could show back That's up and true. be like, hey, keep an eye on yeah. this, okay? Yub, yub. Yeah, right. they probably could. And, you know, 3PO was with her, so they think he's a god, so, you know, would have been fine. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you guys. See, you know, there is a lot going on, and I'll talk about this later, but the pace and the amount that's going on, again, reminds me of the prequels uh, and, and the amount of stuff that's happening. And I don't I don't know how I feel about it. I really don't. I was thinking about this uh, because I was looking at the outline before we started, and I really don't know if I feel like there's really too much going on because this book, to me, at the same time, it soars. Like, I have no... It reads so fast. There's a... Banthapoo load going on. I mean, there's so much happening in this story... But I'm I'm never bored. I'm always turning the page, and I I just I can't stop. Like these books, I mean, this is almost a 400 page book, and I read this in a few days, just like three days, because I sit there and I can consume hundreds of pages at a time because it reads so well. That that but that's just me personally. So I can understand the criticism that there's a lot going on, but at the same time, I don't know. I just well, see, I, I mean, Zahn writes it very well. I agree with you. His writing is fluid, but it's just that – and to go back to your – you know, the prequels do have a lot going on as well, but everything feels very organic through it. There's nothing uh, – you know, maybe I'm in the minority. I don't think I'm in the minority here, but with the, with the, with the prequels, everything seems to flow along a, a due course. Like every every single plot line goes where it needs to go, whereas with this – they're sort of shoehorned together. That's where I think the difference is. And in terms of the the quality of the writing, again, Zahn does a good job putting it together in such a way that you can read it and consume it quickly. But by the time I got to the end of the book, I'll be honest, I had the I remember having this reaction back when I read it the first time too, which was, all right, let's wrap it up. Let's let's bring it together now. Let's let's get everything done. I know that we're near the end. And I know you're not going to resolve this, so let's just let's pull the plug and, and, and get through this. Like I, I felt that way for about the last fifty pages. I read the the new paperback edition uh, this time around, and it was I don't know, it's like four hundred and forty pages or something like that. So maybe it was uh, you know something having to do with the format, but uh, just at the tail end of the book, even though there's this big space battle going on, my feeling wasn't one of danger for the characters it was one of okay let's let's bring this to a close i think it's a valid criticism i i don't know even now how i feel about it um i do feel like that there were some points of the story where things kind of get dropped on you and you're like oh where did that come you know like that just seems to come out of nowhere, like certain new characters that come in and you're just, it's it's all, but I don't know. I, I guess the other part I'm, I'm realizing about this story is it really is one story. It feels like the Lord of the Rings. Mm. There's no beginning and there's no end until you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like there's the beginning and there's the end. There's no middle. There's just the whole story and they cut it arbitrarily almost into parts. That's kind of how it feels because, you know, and then reading the two towers, it just kind of flows right into the next book. 
and the only demarcation points are the way that Tolkien breaks that story up. So you're reading it very literally in the sense that, well, you read one story point at a time. So just like the characters, you don't know what's going on somewhere else. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. that. It, I, I'm really realizing that rereading this because I didn't remember that part, that this was more one continuous story in three parts than it is three separate books. I don't want to pick on this novel, but I will. <laughs> so, And I do like it, so don't get me wrong. But here's the thing. I can give you a summary of how this story plays out real easy. A major character goes to a planet. They're there to meet someone and talk to someone about something. And in the middle of the conversation, the Empire shows up. They have to leave the planet. Another character goes to another planet and it goes to talk to someone. And the Empire shows up and they need to get out of there. Like, I just felt like it was repetitive throughout where the Empire is mm. just showing up. What every planet, Like, I just kept waiting. When are they going to show up? Oh, here they are. <laughs> Which it, is very Empire Strikes Back, though. Mm. That's exactly what happens in Empire, if you remember. Uh, Every place that Han Luke. and Leia go when they're see, escaping, the Empire somehow shows up. But see, they're being specifically pursued through the film. Luke leaves Dagobah, and there's no Imperial Star Destroyer or agent that, of the Empire that true. shows up and chases him off. And so I, I think it's different in that sense. I think it's very interesting when you invoke... Uh, Tolkien because I agree with you that I came to sort of the same realization that it's a shame that this is split up this way but I almost wonder if it is going to be split up this way if he should have split it up more the way Tolkien did and pursued one you know one set of characters story arc up to a certain point and then roll back time and then go back to where Han and Lando are and pursue them through the whole thing instead of intercutting it so much which of course isn't going to feel like the movies but i think would have possibly at least allowed some of the storylines more time to breathe because luke's time on joe mark is incredibly abbreviated as a result you do not spend enough time with it like i was looking forward to this after finishing air to the empire both times oh right luke's gonna go to joe mark and he's gonna go hang out with uh Sabaoth, Sabaths, whatever you want to call him. And he. Sabaoth? Yeah, well, all right, fine. But he is going to go there and there's going to be this major thing and he's going to have a realization. And instead, it's like it happens, but it just, it's in the margins. And I'm like, if anything, there needs to be more focus on that. There really needs to be more focus on that because this really is Luke's first test as an individual Jedi in being able to tell the difference between the dark and the light. Well, because so many, so much of star Wars and the films focuses on that journey and learning the force. And this feels like that, that was going to be the meat of this book mm -hmm. for the force. And it was, it was very brief. I was, this is the part I was looking forward to the most. And then Mar Jade shows up and says, come on, Luke, we got to leave. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's just starting. Right. Leave Luke there until the Empire shows up. That's the format <laughs> of this book. <laughs> well, I, I like... I, I do. I, I'm with you guys because that is the stuff that I really, really enjoyed. That whole... I got on... This outline, we're just going to start mixing things up because we're going to end up talking about all sorts of things. That the whole Jedi training part. 
to me was so interesting with Luke and Sabaoth because, you know, Luke has only been trained by two people, a little bit by Obi-Wan and then a little bit by Yoda, a little bit more than he was with Obi-Wan, but that's that's it. And And like, I kept feeling bad for Luke because it's like, it's just too bad he doesn't have that Jedi Old Testament to let him know how things are supposed to be done, you know, what it's supposed to look like to be a Jedi, what the rules are. It's it's too bad none of this is written down anywhere for him. Uh. <laughs> but, but, but see, that's, like, that's the whole thing, is like Luke's journey, at least the way I've always interpreted it, is Luke is a rebirth of everything. He's, you know, the, the old ways are no longer valid and they're gone, and it would have been nice to see Luke have... An awakening in this where he goes back to quote unquote train with there's been an awakening yeah but he he go he goes back to you know quote unquote train and learn more it would have been nice to have him have more of uh you know a genuine internal realization at some point to say why am i going back and learning the way it was i'm the way it's going to be you know and i think this is our first indication of why the eu wound up alienating uh, myself and and others like me, I guess, in that it it became very quickly about Luke traveling backward and trying to reestablish an old way instead of forging a new path. And I think that this is our first hint of it. Yes and no, because Luke changes the Jedi Order pretty drastically from what it used to be. Uh, I mean, he is... I think that the thing is, is this is where you get into the point where you realize Lucas isn't involved in, and that person who knows Star Wars so well and exactly how it works isn't there. So you're going to get different authors giving different points of view and, and Luke is going to be di- written kind of inconsistently for quite a long time. I think that's really what ends up happening is that each author and series, you know, Kevin J. Anderson's going to come along and do his series and, you know, other people are going to come along and do their series. And then, you know, it keeps getting added to. And it wasn't like there was one vision for where this Jedi Order and what Luke's going to do is going to happen. It's not coming from one man anymore. It's coming from a story group. Uh, and, you know, I, I hate to say that, but that's kind of one of the things that worries me about the the Force Awakens and all the other stuff is that we're writing by committee now. And at least they're writing by committee in the sense that they're very firmly working towards a realized goal and having inner consistency. But here in this EU and what happens later on, you're not going to get that hmm. because that just isn't there because each author kind of has a little bit different take. And honestly, there isn't a lot of consistency, I don't think, until you start to get to the New Jedi Order where they like really start to clamp down on where the story's going. They start putting a tighter rein on the authors and trying to work together and make things more cohesive. And I just don't think that happens until that point. Well, then then I guess Zahn is the indicator of why they had to, you know, put a tighter rein on people later on. But I, I think that this is this is your first hint of the, the damage that's going to be done that's going to drive people away before New Jedi Order series even comes into being. 
Uh, well, I I would say that Zahn was the one for me that I read and and always enjoyed his take because you know his his Hand of Thrawn trilogy I really enjoyed uh, wrapping up the Bantam series until Del Rey took over. Well, I, I'm I'm just talking about Luke's journey in specific. Luke Luke becomes yeah. for a time obsessed with going backward instead of going forward, and I just I just think that this robbing robbing him robbing him of a personal character arc and having Mara Jade show up and say no you knucklehead you're under the influence of a bad guy let's go like that that takes Luke's agency away from him that removes his maturity that he's earned through the through the movies no as a character. Luke realizes he's met he's got a crazy guy Pretty quickly. Yeah, he thought now, he was I give it to before Mars. Yeah, yeah he th- I mean, he thought he, w- he Luke thought he was like unstable, this guy's... But at, at at no point in the story did I feel that Luke reflected any deeper than that. He didn't find like if a crazy person is telling you the history of the galaxy, shouldn't you be questioning his version of history more strongly and then well, uh, leaving right. of your own or or accord. staying. And trying to turn this guy and almost become the mentor and he becomes more of the student because he's insane and trying to bring sanity back to him because there's such few sure. Jedi. Well, and I sure. think that's what Luke was going to do until Mara showed up and needed his help and she went with him. Uh, it, see, the thing is, it just it just doesn't... I don't think that it's given enough time to really come across. Like, I, I think and that... I, yeah, I can agree with you. You know, I, I think that that's why I'm, you know, I'm left with this impression of like... Luke's agency being taken away is because it's it's so his time on Joe Mark is just crammed in there and well and I'm hoping that's where the the next book will pick up because you know it's going to be him and Mara and some some commandos on a trip to you know the the planet I can't my mind is completely blank right now where they're going to be the ones who try and take out the the cloning facilities. Uh, spoiler alert uh, right. for a book that's but twenty years old. But um, no, I I can kind of agree with you um, because I I think it is pretty interesting to watch Luke realize this dude belongs in Jedi Arkham. He's nuts. Yeah. You know I he and Luke has that too. He has the thought in his head and he's talking tomorrow about how. You know, Vader was far gone, and he was able to bring him back. And I think that's his plan with Sabaoth. It just there's something that's really interesting. I thought that that he does here, Zahn does, in tying Luke to Mara. And there's something about her that he's drawn to, and like he feels protective of, and he can't explain it yet. You know, like so it feels like to me that. The, the forces at work in some odd ways with Luke and I'm I can't really judge his storyline completely I think until we read the last command yeah I agree because I, I once we get I to that last book then we'll yeah. know um it, it is really interesting here the whole idea of you know the prequels don't exist so so we're we're not dealing with how the jedi were in the prequels and we only have this crazy jedi to kind of tell us how things were and luke realizes this this guy treats people like they're greek gods basically and everybody else is a peasant and i thought that was really interesting uh you know his his 
yep. Sabio's version of how the Jedi ruled and all of that, which is completely different than what we know for the prequels, and yet we don't have the prequels yet with these books. So um, Luke trying to figure this out makes much more sense to me when I divorce myself from the fact that the prequels didn't exist, so I didn't have any idea how the Jedi used to be. Um, and therefore... It is, I, I'm asking the same questions, honestly, that I feel like Luke is asking because he doesn't know, you know? And I can't expect him to have known the mistakes of the Jedi beforehand because even for me as the reader at that point, they don't exist. <laughs> so um, I think that makes for a really interesting conundrum. And I, not having that part of the storyline, I think you do end up with a more drawn out process of Luke trying to figure out where he's going and all that stuff. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the, the whole Sabaoth thing speaks to sort of the notion that a lot of us had before the prequels uh, of how the Jedi were, which was they were much more uh, roaming samurai like, you know, yes, they went on, missions on behalf of the Republic and stuff like that, but it would have been completely within the realm of believability for somebody to be a complete hard ass like Sabaoth and a complete, you know, gentle touch like Obi-Wan and they're still Jedi masters and they're still, well, I mean, I don't think we even thought of Obi-Wan as a Jedi master by that point because he only refers to himself as a Jedi Knight in the original trilogy, but, you know, like... this this version of the Jedi is much less uniform and much more feudal, and I think it, it fits with the impression that a lot of people uh, had uh, before the prequel era was established. And it's going to create that sense that is going to make people so upset when the Jedi don't live up to those expectations when they reach the prequels. I really sure. do think uh, so. See, I took a different, I, I had a totally different approach to this because I'm reading this book knowing the prequels. I'm not looking at this book as, okay, this came before the prequels, so let me put my mindset into that. I'm approaching this book fresh and new because I don't remember much from this, obviously, from when I read it years ago. So it, it, a lot of it's new to me. And I'm looking to how it fits in now. And the way that impression of the Jedi were to me when, um, Sabaoth is explaining him. I'm thinking this guy's so insane that he's building up these Jedi as if they're these gods and and but and mythical beings that you know no one seems to know to Luke doesn't know much about and he's portraying them in a different manner than what they really were. Like he wasn't real honest. Okay. I see I, I can go yeah. with that. That's a good way to retcon. I was actually hmm. if you want to slip into the the post you know, prequel era establishment and everything. In a sense, he's almost like um, Darkness and Umbara. I forget that master's name. Oh, Pong Krell. Yeah. Yes, he's yes. like that. Where he's he's yes, Sabath is nuts. Sabaoth, whatever, is nuts. But he, at the same time, I think he has an. He's like Joker crazy. Yeah. You know, like you don't know when the when the nutso part has taken over and when the more calm rational part. So he could be just straight up lying to Luke 
or he could just honestly believe it and has built it up in his mind, you know, while in seclusion or something. Right. Even though it's not truth, that's how he built it up in his mind. That's where he's living. Right. It's a fantasy. You want to see me make this lightsaber disappear? Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I mean, I like that. And I think what's really interesting because earlier in the book, you know, Luke is confronted with, uh, somebody who asks him to be an arbiter of an argument and Luke is completely taken aback by this. And yet there is still, and, and this is where I think it really does kind of still fit in with the milieu of what we know from the prequels, rebels, all this stuff. There is this remembrance of the Jedi that isn't that hasn't been scrubbed clean by the Empire, where people still do remember them as being not villains, but being heroes. You know that they were they weren't bad people. They were they could be trusted. You know, not everybody has bought the Empire's line, hook, line, and sinker. And um, you know, this character he asks Luke to you know make a ruling basically and that they would abide by whatever he said and um the way that luke i thought that was a great scene because the way that luke goes about that he listens he puts himself into the force and listens um you know and all of that and then of course sabaoth is is when he's telling luke to do that it's get this done quickly use might to make right you know your power to make right Everything that basically Yoda said not to do, Sabaoth is telling Luke to do. And it's really interesting to see that Luke is really on the right path. But as to our point earlier, it's going to take Luke a little while. And that's why I like here that he hasn't set up a Jedi Order yet because Luke's still trying to figure out. You know, like he's got things to figure out and he wants to make sure that he does this thing right because i think he does clearly understand how wrong it can go if you don't do it right you know it even if it lasts for a thousand years if it brings the you know some kind of empire back that's not what luke is looking for so i think it does really set up at least an interesting stage for the rest of the eu to be built upon uh, what the rest of the eu will do and whether or not that works at all how those authors take it later on, completely different story. But I think at least Zahn's setting up a pretty interesting and compelling story for Luke that I really want to see continued. Like, um, you know, I, I'm I'm torn by knowing where the EU goes and almost wanting this to still be a jumping off point somehow because <laughs> it's it's still it's still grabbing me and i think that's pretty impressive yeah uh did you get the sense though um whether setting aside the whole sabaoth lying telling the truth thing whatever um there's still very much that sense that i think we all held on to until the prequels of the clone wars having taken place a lot longer before luke was alive because the the hanager are we pronouncing it that way how do we pronounce the plant hanager yeah, sure. Sure. The no right, let's from, do it. Okay. Um, they say they had been under the yoke of the Empire since the Clone Wars, which were 44 years previous. And I'm like, man, no matter how I try to work this math out, that doesn't work with the timeline anymore. So, Oh, I worked it out. I'll show you how to do that. Oh, all right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Is it using okay. the, that new Common Core math? Because I can't figure that stuff out. 
Well, you know, years are represented differently by different planets and different solar systems. Uh, and so this is a pre-Empire date, which is more rapid dates uh, than the BBY dates. So it's all, there's a mathematical formula to make it all work out. That actually no, no, makes some it, crazy it, sense. No, right because there. <laughs> they specifically address the time difference where they say it's 48 years on Hanagur, but 44 years as the uh, Empire reckons it. Right. That's yeah, two different date it, systems. There's many more. No. And they referenced <laughs> earlier that Luke is frustrated and hoping that the new Republic doesn't create its own calendar system. Right. Since every, you know, regime tries to create its own. So, yeah, that, that was that's pretty funny. Pick, that's very clever. Pick your dating system. You pick your age. You can be younger if you want. Depends on the dating yeah, system. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Leia shaved off 20 years. Yeah, yeah so uh, I love it. Um, well, okay, so... There is an, the, the other side of the story, you know, because we learned last time that the Nogri had been involved with the Empire for a very long time. And that it, they saw Vader as being their savior. And Leia felt like she could use that to her advantage to help them, but also help the, the you know, the New Republic. And I thought that was an actually... Uh, to me, it was a really interesting story to see the background of the just how devious and terrible the Empire was and the way that it treated people and, and, and used people and had no compulsion about it. I just I, I really like the way they drive that home. And it's not in your face. It's just I, I felt like that was a great story. What did you guys think? Yeah, I like how they were deceived by the Empire. The Empire switched it around to make it look like that they were their saviors and Darth Vader was the guy there to rescue them. And instead, they were doing the opposite. They are poisoning their crops by putting this fake grass that, that kills the crops and makes them dependent on the Empire. So they're very ruthless. And it, was, it took Lady Vader, as yeah. she's known to them, to come in there and show them the errors of their ways and have them turn against the Empire. So that was a cool storyline. Well, I, I did enjoy how the Mial Yarush uh, came and showed them the light while dancing that line between, you know, not taking away their reverence for Vader uh, while at the same time using it to her own advantage. But the one question I had, and I apologize for having this question, but everybody who smells her knows that she belongs to Vader's lineage, that she is the daughter of Darth Vader. However, we find out that Kabarak, uh, who was the first one to recognize her as Lady Vader on Kashyyyk, he is the grandson of the first people that Vader uh, came across. So how do they all know how Vader smells? Well, he smells kind of like there's a nice earthy peatiness oh, with a slight sense I, of like lilac and cedar. But did, but did they cedar. keep like a section of his cape somewhere on Honegger? And when you were when you were old enough, you were brought up and it was like sniff Vader's cape. Then you know that it's awesome. <laughs> sniff Vader's cape. No. <laughs> How else does everybody know oh what he God. smelled like? I don't well, he know. He would smell Apparently. mechanical, wouldn't he? <laughs> okay. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I figured he smelled like burnt toast. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> did, now, did, but did they? Did they? <laughs> was that like their? Was that like their battle musk or something like that? Like they doused themselves with essence of Vader before they went into battle or something? I don't know. I, I 
if if he doesn't smell like a sausage, you know, that's been overcooked, I don't know what does. <laughs> but so, I, but I, mean, I still I still want to know how everybody knows how he smells. Nobody can answer that for me. Do you think maybe do you think maybe it has something to do with his force ability and 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 that there's so something in the force So they're smelling the which, force. <laughs> so smell now the force. we've gone from yeah. Salamiri pushing out the force to people that can smell the force. I'll roll hey, with it. Sure. Hey, no, it's all possible. It's like, okay. It's like enjoying the color nine. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean. Um, I don't know. Maybe he used a certain <laughs> deodorant and they had those around. I, well, you know, he had only been dead for five years. So maybe he visited quite often. And so okay. just five years ago, they still remember that scent. <laughs> all right. Well, he uses degree. It's heat activated. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That was, I mean. It, it's not the I only just, smelling I, character, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> what I love about the story, though, that the Empire seals their own fate because of their own evil towards the Nogri. It's like evil never prospers for long. And it's their treatment of them finally is their undoing of that relationship that they have. That they, I mean, they had been able to make themselves look like heroes for a long time but you know it just took leia coming in and pointing out the evil and then the evil actually showing itself for what it really was and i just really liked that that you know the angel of light um might not be the angel of light and if it's not well they're not going to be able to stay that way forever uh and and so i just the you know, the devil always shows their true colors after a while. and Yeah, life falls apart over time. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought that that was just a great part of this story. I feel like it's one of the parts of the story that's the strongest to me because of the theme that's working in there. Oh, yeah. And it feels very Star Wars in that sense. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think it's also, um, uh, it's also nice to see Leia specifically trying to undo the like she's doing penance for what her father did. So she's sort of, she is taking on the mantle of being a Skywalker uh, in, in this storyline where she is specifically taking it upon herself to right the wrong of what, what her father did. And I also like the fact that when she does talk with them and they say, Oh, well you're just saying this because you want us to join the Republic. And she says, it would be great if you did, but I don't care. I, I really just want you to be able to be self-sustaining. Like that speaks to a nobility in her character that I think is very important. Well, and what I love about that is that she embraces what it means to be a Jedi in her way. She's right. not having to be the Jedi quite like Luke, and that's okay. And that's something that will not get played out very well in the EU with latest Jedi training for too long. Um, and, and, but I think again, Zahn is setting up a very nice, uh, platform, a nice foundation for Leia to become a Jedi that, you know, it, it reminds me, you know, the, the, uh, Jedi Academy game, um, and, uh, uh, Jedi Outcast, you know, there were those different, um, types of jedi the counselor the you know the warrior whatever i can't remember oh right yeah 
Yeah, I just remember there being different types of Jedi, and we even see that you know referenced in like the Clone Wars. I mean, you know, you know, you have the the Jedi um, guards at the temple. They're obviously well known for their their fighting ability and and all that kind of thing. You have different types of Jedi, and not all Jedi are just you know lightsaber wielding aggressive negotiations type of people. You know, some are librarians. Uh, not necessarily good librarians, but that's a whole other podcast. Uh, so I, I just I like that they're setting up that Leia can be a Jedi and and build on the legacy of the Skywalkers, but she doesn't have to do it exactly the same way that Luke does to make her a valid mantle of that name. And I think Zahn's just doing a real service to that character by continuing what's already been done in the original trilogy and furthering that character as we move forward. So I just really, really appreciate that. Um, well, the other storyline that we get here, that the other kind of main storyline um, is Han and Lando and the political machinations of... Uh, what's going on with uh, Philea and um, trying to figure out how he has worked this this bank transfer. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about bank transfers, <laughs> just like the prequels, uh, into Admiral Akbar's account and all of that. So they go to unravel that mystery. What did you guys think about uh, getting to pal around with Han and Lando for so much of this book? I thought it was neat. You know, I... I it was a different way to handle it instead of having Han go off with Chewie. Um, I mean, it would have been very difficult to have that storyline, I think, without uh, meaningful dialogue uh, written out between the two. Um, whereas, you know, with Leia pairing off with Chewie, but then bringing along 3PO, you didn't have just one character speaking the whole time with, you know, somebody else tagging along that doesn't ever utter, a, you know, like a real readable word. Uh, you know, I like the fact that it it was they became, it, you know, it shored up the buddy aspect of their relationship. You know what what was there before Empire Strikes Back, and uh, so I liked it for that reason. I wish it was more Starsky and Hutch or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. It I, it was cool to see them together. I. I don't know. I was wishing maybe it was a little more funnier, or a little more buddy buddy, and they're taking more jabs at each other than that than they did. Hmm. Um, it was all right. When, you know, when they went on the uh, a casino boat submarine thing or whatever, uh, I think there was it, a it little... was like a Gungan submarine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with no Gungans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, it. That would have been a good opportunity to really play something really fun up. I guess that's what I'm looking for. I mean, this book was very straightforward all the way through, and this would have been a good pairing to add some fun to it. Uh, that's a fair. It was point. interesting to me how much, um, you know, they really grow the character of Lando to make him kind of a, a well-traveled man about the galaxy and, and one who knows a lot of things and obviously has had his hands in lots of different types of pots looking to score it big. And so, you know, when conveniently Lando had been a person who had studied the Katana fleet looking for it, it, it just kind of made sense with the character. Um, And so I felt like 
Zahn understands the characters enough to write them in a way that feels as if if you add something to them or talk about them, it makes sense with what we know, you know? Um, so as you layer, he's layering well, I think. And that's what I found about the, the Lando and Han storyline there. And I really appreciate it, you know, because Lando for me is, is not personally my favorite character, but I really like the way that Zahn writes him in this series. I think he's really interesting, and I, I just felt like that worked to me. So uh, it was an interesting, fun storyline. I do think that theirs is the weakest storyline here hmm. because... Well, that's the whole reason we're like, ah. yeah. <laughs> it It just... it. What I mean is that it feels like all the things that they find out are found out in other places. So that when it comes together, they haven't really found out all that much. Because to go back with uh, Luke, he's going to catch up with Morrow, and, and he's going to be the one who rep, uh, who helps save Card, and that's what brings Card the Katana fleet. And so it's like... Their storyline almost just felt like it wasn't completely. See, yeah, they didn't accomplish necessary. anything. Yeah, exactly. They don't accomplish anything. Well, I mean, they do manage to meet, you know, Senator Garm Bell Iblis, and so that is true. And that's let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I mean, Bell Iblis, I liked as a character. I thought that thinking back to a comment um, from when we were talking about Heir to the Empire, I think, Bruce, you mentioned how Zahn said that Card is how he saw what Han would have become had he not met up with everybody or something like that. I think that Iblis has, uh, there's enough mention of his charm and his natural charisma that he feels like yet another different version of Han, the, the guy who was respectable from the beginning as opposed to somebody who went down the smuggler path. And I would have sacrificed gladly a little bit from Han and Lando's earlier parts of their adventures for more time with Belliblis, because I think it's fascinating and also very realistic, in a sense, to have somebody with a backstory where they hate the Empire, they want to fight the Empire, but... They didn't like the way the rebellion was being handled, and so they struck out on their own. I think that that makes for a very interesting sort of character. Well, and we talked about this book feeling crowded uh, several times, including this one, John, where you're mentioning, yeah, I wish we had a little more time. I wish I had yeah. more time. And I think that's where I feel, and maybe it's just the kind of book we want I think Zahn's trying to keep a pace going, and we, we want it to just kind of breathe a little. We want to kind of dig deeper into sure. these characters, into these situations. Um, but, yeah, that that was the weakest storyline. And, again, I feel like it could have done something more with it, made it a little more fun. But the payoff did come later in the last, what, chapter or two? Well, and... I think what was great, though, is uh, what I really loved and, and where I could see wanting more time is that when Bell Iblis is talking about setting up the rebellion, he's the one who called the meeting for the three separate rebel factions to come together and form what we know as the alliance. That would be what we saw in A New Hope, and he kind of gets pushed out because he's not quite as charismatic as Mon Mothma. 
and that's what causes him to go on his own. And like you said, John, I think that's really fascinating. Somebody who hates the Empire and just not quite a fan of the leadership. And what was really interesting is that, of course, I've just seen the last Hunger Games film and that Mon Mothma almost feels like President Coin. Yes, good point. Like she's, what Garum is worried about is her having too much power and turning into basically an empress. We need Katniss here. Yeah, exactly. We're, why is Leia not Katniss? Right. Get that Wookiee bowcaster out. <laughs> She'll shoot first. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's I, I I like him as an addition. I think he's fascinating, and he'll turn in. I, if I remember correctly, from you know the rest of the EU, he does turn out to be a pretty fascinating character. So I I really do like um, that addition, and and yeah, as crowned as the story was, uh, that one new character like that was one that especially by the end like you said he comes into play in the very end and you're like oh yes you know not only that but you know we we talked about it in the first book you know you didn't really like card john but i feel like he's much more nuanced in this storyline um and much more interesting character as he's a man who almost has that han-esque storyline where he's being pushed into action to the good side like He's real, you know what I'm saying? Like, you finally pushed him to the edge where he has to make the choice between the Empire or the New Republic, and he can't side with the Empire, so he's going to join the New Republic. Yeah, although the knowledge of where the Dark Force fleet is appears to be as well-kept as, I don't know, like Batman's secret identity nowadays, where it's like... Everybody, everybody seems to know you want me about tell the me? fleet uh, and your where secret it is. identity. Yeah, no, my, every everybody has an idea of where the dark force is. It seems, and it's, I don't know, that it, like, I guess tying Bell Iblis to the dark force and like, I, there was just so much where it was just like again. I think it gets back to, I, I it gets back to everything feeling so coincidental, you know, and just sort of. Fitting together in a forced way. Yeah, because that last scene with the Dark Forces, everybody's showing up. And right. I was like, wait, I can't remember. How did the Empire know that that was here? And Oh, yeah, and Bell Iblis knows. because, But I wasn't sure if Bell Iblis actually knew. Right. You know? And it was like, but everybody seemed to know now. And it's right. all at the same time. Or, or like Grapevine, everybody told somebody else, I'm going here. Let's go check it out. So, like, there was, you know, that big... Yeah. Uh, well, that's what made me wonder if there was some kind of leak as soon as the New right. Republic's on its way. It leaks to the Empire. It leaks to Bell Iblis. It's just all of a sudden everybody's involved because this leak just went out because as soon as one went, everybody knows. Well, I think there's one throwaway line uh, for, where it says Han like sent a message to Cena. Oh, Senna. was that it? Yeah, but it's one line in the middle of the big battle. And I remember seeing it, and I'm like, "That's wow! That deserved more time." Yeah. You know, <laughs> you could have given it. me a, a paragraph. But no, remember though too that remember when Han has been at the meeting and and they've been yelling back and forth uh, about whether or not the Katana fleet is it real or not, and he uh, stays behind and he talks to Mon Mothma. I'm wondering if Iblis shows up 
because Mon Mothma has reached out to him. Because there, that's a that's a point in the storyline where Han stays. You don't see the conversation. Zahn doesn't give you the conversation, but Han has stayed back to talk with Mon Mothma while everybody else is gone to get ready to leave. And but is Card given I, Mon Mothma the location? I got the no, impression that Card he was Card sure. holds on to the location until they leave. Card holds with his cards. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right, and, but. <laughs> Yeah, but if if Mon Mothma had contacted Bell Iblis and asked uh, him to join, um, but does that fly with no, the story? No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it, it's, okay, just, I, it was just a question because there's that point where... He specifically shows up because Han told Senna right. where they You're were, right. and then uh, he says specifically at a point, um, he, he says, so I wasn't asked here specifically by the Republic... And Leia says, you weren't, but you are now. Right. I want You're you right. here. Yep. And uh, so, but but it it happens. But the thing is, everything is, is so crowded. Like, we keep talking about how crowded it is. Everything's so crowded, and all of these points are thrown at you in the last big battle. And it's like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. guy. Like, that. This is yeah. this shouldn't be lost in the chatter here of the action yeah. that's going on. That's why I think so many. I, I don't think that it's rare for people to come out of it and say, "So wait a minute, how did he know he was there? Or why did mm-hmm. they show up?" And on top of that, you really have to be paying attention. Yeah, and, and on top of that, I feel that Zahn really telegraphed the uh, big reveal at the end. Uh, I don't know if this was my reaction way back when, but my reaction now was. Okay, we all know the secret about the troopers and Mount Tantus and everything. Okay, come on. Because everybody kept hammering on the idea of there's no way to raise an army. There's no way to raise an army. There's no way to raise an army. And it's like, okay, I, I see where you're going with this. And I, I remember what you talked about in the last book. I, I, I get it. So why do we need an army to run these ships? That's where I was confused. It was like two, you need 2,000 on a ship to run it? Yes, because apparently the you need two thousand on the ship to run it when it normally needs a complement of sixteen thousand, which seems a bit excessive. And so the two thousand, they were saying that the Empire didn't have the troops to staff the two hundred ships. So if there are two hundred ships and they two thousand each, apparently the Empire couldn't press enough people into service. I don't know how that works. Although well, we why never... would you need two thousand on a ship when they can remotely from a different ship drive a ship that's just sitting there empty? Shh, I don't Does know. Well, uh, no, I no, yeah, I think I I think the idea was you know you can make that you may be able to make that ship move, but it you can't do everything in that ship that you would need like. Um, because what was it that, and that was really interesting, the idea that these, this is where Star Wars gets really crazy, those massive ships, you know, that you see, the, the Star Destroyers and things like that, you need like 16,000 people to run one of those things. That's, in, that's an amazing amount of people. Yes. And so then, of course, what was really interesting is the storyline gives us a nice uh, reason for the fact that, one, we don't have massive computer cores in Star Wars uh, because the Katana fleet was lost, and so therefore people went to droids instead of massive computer cores that were slaved together. 
So that was kind of a little fun tidbit of why, you know, you don't end up with Star Trek-style computers running ships. You end up with, you know, hundreds and thousands of droids on ships sure. running things. Um, my thought was kind of why you just wouldn't have lots of droids running uh, a ship. Why would you need all those people? It would be a lot easier to manufacture droids than it would be, you know, to press that many people into service. But that was just... That's where I got to. Is like you don't necessarily have to have that many people. You can create as many droids as you want to do whatever you. Well, want. maybe the Empire hires people based on how they smell. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> smell yeah. such a big. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't like the smell of lemon. Yeah. Well, uh, there. You know, I honestly think it's it, it's a point simply to introduce the the big surprise at the end of the book, um, and in terms Which of just droids. Cool. Yeah, but in terms of the droids, you could retcon it to say, well, because of the Clone Wars with the droid armies, that's why they won't staff them with droids, is because that, you know, that leads to its own problems. Well, droids just don't have that same will to live, so they won't put as much into the effort to survive and conquer others. But you also don't need to feed them, and they create no waste. Well, that's why they have at least 500 chefs aboard ships. <laughs> and there's a McDonald's too down in the basement. You know, I don't even want to think about the 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 quartermasters on those poor ships. Must have just been that must have been just an awful job. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, I how okay. Of course, I I think the biggest thing to try to retcon is the clones themselves. Really? Because, Why is that? Because the way that they are how quickly they're created and the way that they are deployed is it, it seems to run contradictory to what we later find out in the prequels about the way that the clones are created. I mean, the way I retcon it now, because I, I you know, just, just for sort of like a fun mental exercise is I, because I think he wrote a short story where the Sparty cylinders were special and separate from the Camino project. And so what makes these clones different is that they are grown so much faster and they're not given even that 10 years to develop into, you know, fully functioning 20-year-old adults and everything. Um, And the thing is I'm trying not to go into spoilers for the next book because there's another aspect of the clones that coincides and resonates with why Luke feels that they are different in the force than because that that is definitely something where Luke senses something different about these uh troopers uh on, on a fundamental force level. Yeah, they don't have a you know high midichlorian count, so just kidding. Yeah. No, right, but well, times change. You can do things faster. I mean, my grandmother took an hour and a half to bake a lasagna, and I can do it faster in a microwave 20, 30 years later. Ah, but the Sparty cylinders are an oven from 40 years ago, and you're using that to try to microwave your lasagna. <laughs> Takes forever yeah. to bake a clone. Jeez. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I, you can retcon that the speed of cloning. I, I Like, I can get that, but the way that the clones are just doesn't, I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting too far into the into what I remember from the last command because I they, think they really started the clones earlier, right? Well, they didn't find well, that 
that mountain. Yeah, Mount, Mount Tantus. Until the heir to the empire. Right. So, um, no, you know, I, I, as I said earlier, I'm really reading this and pushing all that stuff out of my mind because it, it, it can't impact what I think of this story because I can't expect it to be, be beholden to anything. Because oh, Lucas is, is wrong. Fun. Lucas came after this. <laughs> yeah, it is fun though to to, to be able to um, talk about the, the differences and and how it kind of works. Sure. And I think that's what it to me. It's like it's not a fight or whatever. It's just a, it's just a great conversation to be able to have about how the the different ideas of of cloning here. Um, and then, you know, say cloning in the prequels. Well, I mean, at a, at a very fundamental level, one of the things that, uh, that I look at it with is the Kaminoans weren't the only cloners out there. And so very easily they're just using different that technology. That is a good idea. I love there it. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's very, well, and, and even think about that. Deck says the Kaminos, they're cloners and damn good ones, right. but that doesn't mean they're the only cloners right. out exactly. there. Exactly. He just means they're good. They're good. They so, take their time yeah. at making that's their right. You get a better right. lasagna with right. the that, Exactly. Yeah. They bake a they bake a nice clone. Yeah, these um, clones are more Chef Boyard. <laughs> hey. Okay. Don't, don't I, I do want to talk to you, to you guys, a little bit about that idea, because again, you know, the, the prequels for so many people, they're they got so pissed off by there being politics and banking factions and clans and all of this kind of stuff, and and. Uh, it was. It is so interesting to me to see how many of those ideas exist within this story as the New Republic is trying to set itself up, as did with the prequel era, with the politics involved. Um, the I mean, Thrawn is even behind the scenes, indirectly taking advantage of characters without them knowing it, uh, playing them in the New Republic against each other. Um, <laughs> banking issues i mean and we even have you know begun the second clone war has by the end of this story so i i think it's fascinating to me how even with the wide open canvas that zon has he creates something that feels very familiar when you get to the prequels if you ask me because a lot of this story is mirrored in what we get with all of the different factions, the somewhat confusing nature of what's going on. So you need to reread it maybe more than you know once, or obviously see the films more than once to get where everybody's going and who's being controlled by what and what all their motivations are. Like all of this, it doesn't have the depth thematically that we have with the prequels, but it sure does have a lot of the the, the same kind of machinations. Yeah, this is this is uh you know, if I were if I were to compare the two, this this feels like an early story like some of the plot points especially uh you know, discussing the past feel like early story draft treatments of what happened uh prior to the original trilogy. And I think that you know, it's a completely valid thing. It's completely enjoyable, but I think that it did wind up you know, hampering later impressions because once it's put in print, it no longer feels like a story draft to somebody. And uh, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, especially when it's uh, officially licensed by Lucasfilm. So, yeah. Um, 
you know, and it was the first time that that had happened since, you know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, that something was coming out that was supposed to be the next thing that happens in this story. If you you want something that's fun to retcon or try to retcon, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, that's a doozy. There you go. Oh, I read that Um, earlier this year, too. (laughs) That is a doozy. Okay, so I wanted to to talk to you guys uh, a little bit just about some interesting ideas that come out throughout the story. One, uh, we've already talked about some of them, but there I just wanted to talk about a few. Uh, one is the the way that what we learn about Mara, Jade, and the fact that she was the Emperor's hand, uh, which means basically she almost feels kind of like an Inquisitor, but at the Emperor's command and nobody else's. Uh, and Strangely enough, her uh, her power through the Force seems to be more connected to the Emperor than the Force, and that that's only now starting to kind of reemerge. And I just thought that was a really interesting idea, um, and very different, obviously, than than kind of what we see in obviously any of the prequels. So this is this is a unique take on a you know a Force user and you know, how their abilities come about and why they have them and how strong they are. I, I don't know. What did you guys think of that, all of that? Uh, Mara Jade, I'm waiting for her to get more interesting for me. I Everybody makes a big deal about Mara Jade, and I'm just reading this, and I'm, it's just like, what what makes Mara Jade so great? I, mean, I don't see how she's such a standout character compared to other characters I've read in this book or others. Maybe when we get to Lost Command... We'll see something more from her, but I mean, she has very weak, loose force powers. If heart, you know, it's more just you know her feelings. I mean, she's not wielding a lightsaber at this point or using you know some kind of force punch or something. Um, she's a little bit whiny at this stage of the game so i'm just kind of waiting to see more from her as we continue oh, through but i was gonna go to coruscant and pick up some power converters yeah so she's perfect for luke ha uh, ha well see I, I i don't agree with that opinion of mara uh, especially in dark force rising i think that what's what makes her compelling and what made her compelling back then was that there was a female character that um uh, and I, i'm not like harping on it because she's female but like there was somebody introduced who wasn't Vader, who showed that you didn't need to be a Jedi or, even though Sith was an established term by the time this came out, a dark Jedi, to have the Force. Like I think, I think Matthew, you you calling out the Inquisitors is a good move um, because of the fact that they also speak to. There are people who can be trained in the Force who don't fall along a strictly defined camp of you know what what uh, faith they follow as it were you don't need to be a jedi and you don't need to be a sith you can be a force user and fall outside of those definitions and that's what i mean for me that's what always made mara so intriguing was she was you know the force was a utility for her not a calling well and what i find interesting about mara um, because I, I do find her interesting, and what I love here is that she is this mystery to to kind of figure out. And a lot of people are trying to figure out who this is and what where she 
is from and what she's done in the past. You know, one of them is Luke and uh, Thrawn's trying to figure that out. And, um, you know, we learn more about her in this story. And I, I find it kind of fascinating. And this really was the first time we had an idea that the Emperor had surrounded himself with more people than just Vader who would go out and do his bidding. Uh, it wasn't just the Emperor and Vader who were responsible for um, enforcing things forcefully in, in the galaxy. And I, I, I just, I, I personally, I really like that. Um, and I like the slow burn that we're not going to just like dump this character and try. And I, I feel like Bruce might make her important immediately. It's more like, no, we're, we're going to continue. We're, we've introduced all these new characters, and we're going to slowly build her into being somebody who's important. Other than the moment you open the book, here's the new female character. She's important. And you're going to know she's important because we're going to talk about her a lot. You know, like, no, she just organically fits into the story. And, and as we're moving forward, we're finding out more about her. And the more we find out about her, the more interested I am. Um, and part of that... I know who she's going to become too. And I, I always ended up loving Mara Jade and, um, you know, maybe that's uh, where I'm coming from is everybody's made such a big deal about her and I'm expecting more of that up front. And I'm just kind of like, okay, I mean, she's, she's cool, but I, she's not like this standout character amongst all these other characters in this book that makes me want to go, Oh my gosh, Mara Jade is the best. She's so awesome. And I'm kind of, Maybe I'm just waiting for that moment. Maybe it's that slow build, and when we get to the next book, and and believe me, these books are already making me want to read other books. So it's yeah. just adding to my freaking <laughs> reading list, which I don't need right now. I completely understand that. Um, well, I, you know, I what I love about this storyline, like you said, Bruce. There is a part of this is really making me want to go back and reread certain parts of the old EU because I did, I did like, you know, Mara uh, and these other characters and where they were going to go. Um, and uh, really, honestly, it kind of makes me want to just go back and, and reread uh, the Thrawn duology, the Hand of Thrawn duology that, that Zahn wrote because, you know, that's really where that continuation for Luke and, and like, say, Mara happens because that's where they finally truly fall in love and, and decide that they want to be together and that continues that story. Um, I I almost kind of wish that Zahn had been the only one to write Star Wars books for a while um, more than just this first trilogy so that we would have kind of had more one vision behind things uh, because I think that was one of the downfalls of the EU until they got a tighter rein on things and were trying to really more control the story and make it all fit together as well as it did and be more consistent with characters and all. So all in all, um, yeah, what would you guys end up rating Dark Force Rising? Okay, I'll go first. I will, uh, you know, I will go ahead and uh, give it to hmm, three and a half dreadnoughts out of five. Wow. That's, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking three and a half or four. And then I thought, can I really do a half? But 
I'm going to go with four. Uh, it it was it was a bit crowded as we mentioned, but as it was building, I liked the conclusion. I like where it all kind of pulled together and wrapped up. Um, I'm glad Leia was given more to do. My concern from the last book and then in the beginning of this book, it seemed that everybody was into protecting Leia and putting her off to the side to, 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 uh, like, I I didn't feel like she was coming across as a hero until nobody puts Lady Vader in a corner. Yeah. Until we brought (laughs) Lady Vader in. So that was really cool. And one of my favorite parts, and I don't know why, but when Sabiath, or Saboth, or whatever we're calling him, starts throwing rocks at Mara's ship using the force. To, oh yeah, rocks at that her ship. I sweet. thought that's pretty cool. I like that. That was neat. <laughs> that was neat. And also like the reverse of the trash compactor scene. Yes, that was hilarious. Oh, that was pretty clever. That was yeah. hilarious. That was pretty yeah. clever. And Luke being like, in his head, they don't smell any better. <laughs> yeah. And instead of going down to the trash compactor, he's going to go up through the trash compactor to the detention cell and then back down again. So that was pretty cool. So there's little bits and things in there like that that I liked. And I do like viewing this book from the perspective of being familiar with the prequel trilogy and just seeing, you know, where Timothy Zahn's head is and where he wants to create his version of the Star Wars universe from what he was given at that time. So, yeah, I give it... uh, I don't want to say hot chocolates again because I did that last time. So I'll give it four flying rocks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I, I really love the tapestry that Zahn is weaving. I mean, and that's, you know, when I when I came to the realization, especially by the time that I got to the end of this book, that Zahn is weaving a three-book tapestry and there's really only a beginning and an ending. I think that really helped me to come to terms with how much is going on. Uh, and even the the whole idea that there's so much going on, when you're in a galaxy the size of the Star Wars galaxy, to me that kind of made it feel more realistic that there's so much going on. And so, and I know that's kind of weird to say about it, you know, fantasy sci-fi book series but um i I just kind of i personally i enjoyed it and you know it's not a perfect book we've we've talked about uh, a few of the things that just kind of fall a little bit flat and and especially that han and lando story it kind of drags a little bit um again i like the prequel reference where they go underwater for the first time and have an underwater you know submarine place where people are gambling so I just imagine there being Gungans there in the back of my mind. You know, to me, this is um, four out of five lost dreadnoughts. You know, it, it is not perfect, but I think it's still very strong. And I'm crossing my fingers that the end is going to be the best of the stories, especially since I feel like hopefully Zon has even more of a grasp on where he's going and what he's doing with all these characters so that as he's wrapping everything up, it can hopefully be the strongest. Usually for me, I like, I tend to like the middle stories the best, like Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Catching Fire was my favorite, uh, you know, things like that. But this one, I still, I think, uh, if I was looking at them just as we are now, uh, Heir to the Empire, I think, was stronger than this one, which is an unusual usually for me. But 
uh, I can't wait to, to wrap it up with uh, The Last Command. Um, been fantastic. We get to bring these shows to you because of our associate producers every week through Patreon. We've got Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. Really want to say thank you to them for their support of the network and the show. Uh, through Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team and make sure that we get to bring all of this great content to you through Trek FM each and every week. Um, and, and the reason that is is we are a listener-supported network. It does cost quite a bit to host a network of this size and magnitude. You can't do that for free with a network of this magnitude, is uh, Admiral Akbar would say. So uh, check out patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can help us. Uh, we've got great things we want to give back to you, exclusive content, um, producer credit, seats on the content development team, and so much more. So really want to say thank you for all of you that make this happen. And after doing it for three years uh, and continuing now on my fourth year of podcasting with Trek FM, it's been just an all-out joy. So, Well, Bruce, uh, before we let you uh, leave the 602 Club, uh, tell everybody where they can find you online. And uh, I know that uh, you have a great podcast of your own that you do. I can be found on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And uh, I have a few writings on StarWarsReport.com. And I'm co-host of Cloud City Casino, which is a gaming and collecting and all things fandom podcast. And if you like listening to this show that you just heard, you may want to listen to Cloud City Casino episode 25 since Matthew Rushing is on that episode. And I have to say, it was a fine night at the casino. Yes, and that had smell issues too. It did, it did. Uh, Wookies all over the place, but you'll have to listen to the episode to figure that out. Um, John, before we let you go, uh, there are plenty of places online for people to catch up with you. Uh, you've, you're doing reviews of things on Showvote. You've got podcasts. You've got Twitter Tell everybody where to find you. Oh, well, thank you, Matthew. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. Uh, you can find me right here on the network uh, during the final season of Commentary Trek Stars, where we look at the work of Star Trek creators uh, outside of Star Trek. We're uh, actually in the midst of our Simon Pegg uh, retrospective, and it's, it's pretty great. We're having a good time with that. Freaking Simon Pegg! Exactly. And we are, uh, you know, having a good time. It's, it's, we're looking at all of the creators who are putting Star Trek Beyond together. So that's our focus for this, uh, this final season. I'm also on a podcast called Words with Nerds that I co-host with my buddy Craig. That drops on Thursdays on iTunes and all the other places. And uh, as you mentioned, thank you. Uh, I am writing uh, some pieces for showvote.com with a uh, special focus, big surprise, on Star Wars stuff. Wow, we've got the crack team right here for for Star Wars content. Uh, I it's because of you guys too. You know, the Star Wars feed has uh, done really, really well, um, and uh, you know, I'm just so proud of, of the content that we've put out there. And mainly, it's because we get to have these kind of conversations. You know, I invite great people in, and I just try to keep up. So, thank you guys for for making it such a success. Uh, you can find me at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing 
Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek and interview the authors. Uh, I do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. You can find me on Instagram at mrushing. Uh, you can also find Trek FM there now. Uh, you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you. Matthew, you're the best.